0: Welcome back to the Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. I am so excited to be with you again this week. My name is Tim Pasick. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I am um, delighted to be joined by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you? I'm
1: doing well, Tim.
0: Good to see you again. Um, two weeks removed, I think, from our last podcast and. Even that was a uh, i called it a special
1: a, a remote edition
0: yeah special air quote there special edition where we were not in the same room, but we are today and uh i mean, i missed the studio i'll be'll be honest with you <laughs> I missed the cup of coffee and being able to uh chat face to face um as, as those listeners who know me already, and you probably, even if you don't know me well, have picked up throughout many of the episodes, <clears throat> I'm not a huge fan of some of our 21st century um, technology or things we take for granted, like text messaging and social media and stuff like that. So I much prefer to be in the room with you. I don't even mind the microphone in my, in my face today. It's good to be here. It's good to to have something to to talk about. And man, do we have a a lot of things that we could talk about. Um, The sermon from this past Sunday was on an entire chapter in Genesis, and in fact, a very, very large chapter in Genesis. So um, I, I think, Phil, since I've been at Mercy Hill, this might be the... longest or second longest passage i've i've heard you read on a sunday morning i know you did the sermon on the mount
1: that's true in
0: one reading i did that's right uh, that was like right when i started coming to mercy hill and i don't know verse wise i can't remember you probably re- would remember what was the larger i feel like that felt longer um but i could it could yeah, be wrong it, on that. it probably
1: is because seven has Twenty-eight verses. Matthew six has thirty-four verses, and that's not counting Matthew five, which has forty-eight verses. So, yeah, that's longer. This is only sixty-seven by yeah. comparison. O- only, only
0: sixty-seven. <laughs> right. <laughs> but my point being, uh, besides the the Bible nerdery going on, uh, it was a very large. It was, and I didn't. Of... I
1: didn't even read the last six or seven verses. That's right.
0: Yeah. Um. Who has the time? I mean, we're, we're, what, we are, we are a, Presbyterian, by the way. What, you know, what a good have...
1: experience, though, to hear such an extended portion of the inspired Word of God read out loud on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's not for every Sunday, but. Um, it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, Pro- probably from a homiletic standpoint, helpful that. The sermon was uh, kind of intercalated with, you know, the, the I divided it into four sections. You right. could have done five or six, but I, I chose four. Um, that third section is quite long, the 28 to like 60. And it's repetitive too. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, I didn't. I couldn't see how to preach it without reading it. Hmm. Dr. Boyce's sermon in sermons on Genesis, whose, uh, I, have, I have that commentary. He just read the very last two verses, uh, essentially saying that they, they got married. Wow. And then kind of preached generally on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely didn't want to do that
0: yeah that wasn't really your the thrust of your message though. Um, I mean, y- you already just said that you didn't even read the last six verses, but mm-hmm. um, the focus was much more actually on Abraham's servant than on any other that's individual. True. that's true in the story, and um, we have a, a, even more than four or five people who are mentioned in the story. But at, at least five people whom we get a decent ch- chunk of character description and development, if you will. I mean, I, I don't mean it like someone wrote fiction, but, you you know, we, we learn a lot about at least five of the people in this story. You know, Abraham, his servant, um, Rebecca, Laban. Laban, and Isaac. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include Rebecca's parents in any way, shape, or form, even or though her, they're or they're her mentioned. Made Deborah right. Um, so there's a couple other people that are mentioned, just not very, very kind of briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you gotta <laughs> you you gotta pick your scoop, you know, to use your analogy. You know, if it's an ocean, right. and this is a very, very large portion of the ocean. You still had to take your scoop of something.
1: Um, but what a what a uh, charming character this unnamed servant. We I called him Eliezer, but what a charming a w- w- winning kind of god-fearing figure he is.
0: Yeah. You find it interesting that he's not named?
1: I do. Because I
0: do. he's he's the protagonist here. Right. And to your, I mean, I wholly agree with you, just charming, um, so many qualities that you're like, man, I I wish I was like, you know, I wish I was like that guy, you know, wait a minute, who is that guy? He's just Abraham's servant. Um, Hmm. You made it, I think, a fair, educated um,
1: guess. Right, from Genesis 15, and I was was pointed in that direction by a number of uh, commentators, but... Um, it does remind me a little bit in, in Kings and Chronicles, we have an unnamed prophet or two that shows up mm-hmm. and, um, a beloved pastor in our area passed away a few years ago and there was no service no public service for him. Mm-hmm. And the, the rationale that, that I had heard communicated through the family and we, our family is close to that family is he, he didn't want to have a big deal made over him himself. I, he kind of wanted to kind of go in obscurity mm-hmm. and that was sort of the kind of guy he was. Mm-hmm. So We were frustrated by that. We, we loved the family. We loved him, his wife. But um, in the end, it, it definitely left an, a pretty deep impression on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the calling of a pastor to be no more than an unnamed servant of the Lord. Uh, you know, he made much of Abraham's name and of Abraham's son and made very little of his own mm-hmm. so it's it's really a great aspect of the text
0: yeah yeah it kind of adds um mm-hmm. rather than detracts i just find it so <laughs> find it so interesting i have to chuckle because you know it's not like a minor it's not like the servants that went with abraham to mount moriah who were kind of in the background you know right. so then stay here we'll be back right This guy is like the one going and doing all of the work. And yet, you know, we know a lot about him other than his, his name. Mm -hmm. So, um, but maybe that's part of the point, I guess. So, um, how to pass it on. And I, I appreciated as you do quite often, Phil, you know, you, 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 you center our learning and your preaching, not just in the context of the passage that we're reading, but within all of um, the redemptive historical narrative Mm -hmm. um, and going back, starting in Genesis. And and it was just the intro. You didn't spend a ton of time on it, but I think it was so important um, to kind of help us remember that What we do in terms of, you know, uh, our children and, um, kind of our responsibility and our role as Christians, we, we fail at it and we struggle and that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how God had created it to be, but we fell in our foreparents the shorter catechism talks about that. Um, when Adam fell, so did everyone according to ordinary generation fell with him and in him. And so we, we, there's a problem here, right? There's a tension that we don't pass on. We don't do what we're supposed to do in the, in the dominion mandate that was given in the
1: garden. We pass on the wrong thing, right?
0: right? Right. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's just coming into my mind now, um, how often the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the sins of fathers, um, and how that kind of plagues mm-hmm. the offspring. Um, and in this in this story, we kind of see the faith of Abraham kind of following through, not just in Isaac, although certainly in Isaac, but even in even in his servant. Here we see, like I kind of wonder. Um, how much or to what extent Abraham's faith has rubbed. We see some examples, I think. We don't know a lot about that man individually, but being Abraham's servant, one would presume that.
1: Yeah, so the the theme of how much faith he has, I didn't explicitly address that, but I alluded to it, particularly in my reading of the passage, where he prays three times and his reflections that we, that we read in the text through his prayers change or mature. Mm -hmm. So the first time it's, uh, the God of my, my master, Abraham, but then as you go and it's like, and he's even blessed me. Right. So he includes himself towards the end of his prayer in a way that he didn't in the beginning. And you you never get the feeling that this the servant Eliezer is merely doing a job, like just formally carrying out a duty. It, it's certainly no hint of being begrudging or slack or unwilling. He's a willing participant, but he's changed by the encounter i'm i'm convinced that if 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 jehovah was simply the god of his master abraham at the beginning of the of the errand he was definitely
0: hmm. uh
1: the servants god by the end of the experience hmm.
0: yeah i i could i i think i would agree with you on that and abraham gives him an out right at the beginning like what if i don't What if I don't find this person?
1: Right. So there you there is the most pronounced difference between the servant's faith and Abraham's faith. Abraham and which is the last spoken recorded words we have of Abraham, by the way, is is the apology for Jehovah, which is to say, Trust me, the angel of the Lord will go before you and take care of this matter. But if the girl is not willing to come back, then you're don't worry you're free from this obligation. So he gives him a, a, a kind of a secular out mm-hmm. to assuage uh, his fears a little bit. It, it feels a little bit like Moses arguing with the Lord at the burning bush. Well, I I can't, I'm not eloquent. Well, I'll, I'll take care of that. Yeah. Well, who, who am I going to say sending? Well, This is my name. And so you see Eliezer arguing a little bit Um, and there may have been other objections too, but like, this is going to be an expensive trip, Abraham. He's like, well, here's 10 camels. Yeah. (laughs) How is she going to believe I am who I'm saying? Well, here's, you know, five treasure chests of gold. Well, what if she doesn't want to come? Well, the angel of the Lord's going ahead of you. You can just imagine a a much more extended debate that might've gone on. Right. But he's, he definitely becomes he gets caught up in the story himself. He's just, he's beside himself at the end. It
0: it seems like a, a a pretty, um, daunting or, or or maybe not daunting, but I can certainly relate to the servants questioning of Abraham. Like, yeah, but what, what if she won't come back? You know, I think that's a reasonable question you know uh, um
1: somebody called this M- mission impossible um and i i never remember the the sequence i'm sure somebody could google it but it's um uh, was it a mission impossible episode or maybe the Kingsman or one of these other uh, james bond or whatever you know um, um very little uh, likelihood of success <laughs> highly probable that it will result in death count me in you know it's kind of one of those things your mission should you choose to accept it right you know roll the the music in the background here comes eleazar out of the dust yeah. with 10 camels in his train but and a gleam in his eye right because who does he have with him none other than Rebecca,
0: Mm.
1: you know, mission impossible was possible.
0: Yeah. But going back to the point you made about the, maybe the change that we see, or, um, we can make that inference in the story in, in Eleazar from the beginning to the end. And that it is now Yahweh is his God too. Um, Abraham gave him the out, it would not have been that difficult for him to go and give it a half attempt. And like, well, that didn't work out. I guess, you know, I'm going to use my out here, you know, but he, he doesn't do that, you know? And and that was kind of, you didn't make that point specifically, but the point that you, you made in, in the first part, which was the, the commission and a second point, I guess the journey what was the, I forget what you called the second section of the, um, yes. The journey, um, where he goes and he, he's using, he's making good decisions. He's using common sense. He's not just like on a whim, even, even in his praying and what he's looking for. It's not like this unrealistic, well, God just do a miracle here. Although it was miraculous in a way. It was, I'm looking for uh, an industrious woman. I'm looking for someone who uh, is filled with faith and grace and is going to be generous, like traits that are good to be looking for. And how do I find someone like that? Well, let me find a situation where I would naturally come upon potentially someone like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what he does. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he didn't, I guess my point is he could have taken the easy way out presumably, and he did not. Um, And he also could have done that middle ground where I'm not going to take the easy way out, but I'm not going to give it my all and I'm not really going to think hard about it. I'm just going to trust God and hope that something happens. Oh, nothing happened. So I guess God didn't want it to happen, you know? Right. right. And I'm I'm now trying to just kind of overplay my hand in that these are things that I struggle with where... (laughs) I'm, I'm m la- much, much lazier than I should be. And then I blame God for it. They go, well, I guess God just didn't want that to happen. That's his will. So, you know, I'll move on when in reality, I didn't give it a fair shake. I didn't really, um, strive to employ any type of wisdom or determination or even some sweat to, um, discern God's will or to, own up to my end of what God has called me to do, um, and then I turn around and and go, oh, I guess it was just wasn't God's plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a great picture of kind of what f- faith-filled obedience looks like.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and. Other than Laban, I think we see that in all the parties Abraham, Mm. his servant, Rebecca, and Isaac. Laban remains a bit of a Uh, a question mark.
0: Yeah. And you just start to see the hints of it here, and it just gets worse. It (laughs) does. It just gets worse. (laughs) Yeah. Laban, if I were him, I I would have wished that Moses didn't record my name in that story. I was more like the unnamed servant. Right. Just right. the unnamed brother, Right. because uh, nobody wants to be like me. Laban, right? Yeah, which is interesting, I guess, in and of itself, because there's a there's a little bit of a juxtaposition there, and it doesn't really come to 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 full effect in in this part of the story. It's a little bit further down the road, but um, yeah, let's let's not waste too much time on Laban today. I don't think.
1: Well, he he he's mentioned enough that we're not shocked when he comes back into the picture in a few chapters in uh, Jacob's life.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those things where you you almost uh, are on the verge of forgetting about Laban, and then you he comes back into the story, and you went, "Oh yeah, I remember this guy. I remember what he tried to do last <laughs> time. Why don't you just..." Stay with mm-hmm. oh, and he looked at the, all the jewelry, you know, and and all these these little um, foreshadowing pieces about Laban that come back in full force mm-hmm. the next time around. But
1: one of the things that I I think maybe deserves mentioning here, Tim, back to the servant's faith, is not only. <laughs> did he use sanctified common sense in going and uh, obviously God as you p- well pointed out a miracle took place because before he was done praying he opened his eyes and he sees this beautiful girl hmm but when he's retelling the story to her family he's not um, attempting to spin things in his favor He's simply telling what happened from his point of view, and he he's not willing to force an interpretation on those events. He's actually looking for confirmation from, if you mm. will, a multitude of witnesses. Mm. And I think that speaks very well to uh, a human tendency to read into providence and answer to prayer that might not be there. And he... Here we have a pretty clear answer to prayer, and yet he, he treats it as holy ground and, and, and doesn't want to put muddy footprints all over it. He, he asks you know, the brother and, and the mother and the presumably the father, and ultimately Rebecca, are you seeing it the way I'm seeing it? This really looks like the Lord's will here, but you guys need to agree, because if right. you don't, then s- send me on my way. Right. And I'll find somebody else that maybe better fits the bill and the the response was we cannot speak to you either good or bad meaning we have nothing to add uh, it it clearly is God's will and so we need to we need to obey hmm
0: Do you think, um, do you think that these relatives, meaning Laban and Rebecca and the parents, how devote, like, would, would the Lord God have been their God? Or would they not have, was this a... Was this Abraham's God and because of what the servant um, shares, God has done, that is enough to... You see what I mean? I do. I do.
1: So, Abraham has reason to believe that they are more than kinsmen by blood. And if we if we don't say that then he wouldn't have a, he wouldn't have sent his servant there and B um, it just doesn't, it it doesn't, it doesn't honor Abraham's determination Mm. to walk by faith in almighty God if all he's looking for is someone who has this, if I could put it this way, the same skin color Mm -hmm. or who speaks English, he's not, he's looking beyond, as I think I said in the sermon, beyond the gene pool to the, to the, to the, to the spiritual gene pool, the faith gene pool. So why does he have reason to believe that? Well, um, he's gotten word over the over the years that it, well when when god called him in genesis 11:27 the father terah leads at least part of the family out from ur of the Chaldees to haran and then he dies in haran and abraham continues to canaan with lot so terah was convinced that the moon God was not the one true God, but the God that revealed this journey to his son. At some level, Tara was convinced. That tells me also that at some level his brothers were convinced, Abraham's brothers. So through that, I think, you know, if you go back to the original call from God to Abraham and the way that it kind of went upstream to his parents to some degree and then you know, sideways to his brothers, and certainly downstream to his nephew, um, Abraham re- had reason to believe that what a servant would find back in in the hometown of Haran would be some kind of faith. Hmm. How strong it is, we don't know. I mean, Laban says, "Oh, blessed of the Lord." Is Laban just parroting what Rebecca has told him? You know, his sister is told what happened. She probably used Jehovah's name. Right. And so is Laban just parroting what Rebecca said? Is it a customary greeting? Uh, Like, God bless. So he's not an atheist, but is he a true follower of God? I I don't think we we really can know there. Yeah. That's how I thought through it, though. I kind of drew together the threads in, in the wider narrative to try to Determine well, how much faith is in this place? Well, en- enough, yeah, it's enough.
0: Hmm. My, my other question about this passage that is kind of uh, well, you know, this is the deeper cut, so it can be a little tangential. Um, are we supposed to be picking up anything in terms of a comparison between Abraham and Isaac and Bethuel and Laban and how those, Hmm. like the father, both the father-son relationship, because we see a a very different relationship between Bethuel and Laban as opposed to Abraham and Isaac. Hmm. But then also... Abraham as a father, as opposed to, you you pronounce it Bethuel, I think. I I don't know the correct pronunciation, so I'm just going to keep running with whatever. But that guy, Laban's dad, um, because he's a minor character.
1: My rule of thumb for Hebrew pronunciation is don't pause or go in reverse and definitely don't apologize (laughs) because no one else (laughs) knows either.
0: Well, you know... you have a lot more training than I do, so I thought. You know maybe... the rental
1: car company when you go over those spikes, do not hit reverse. Oh yeah, yeah, just keep going. Keep going. Yeah, with confidence. Right.
0: Yeah, I like it. I'll keep that in mind going forward. Next time I have to read a genealogy passage in front of the church, just just keep going. Um, but are we to are we to make anything of
1: that? Yes, I, I think so. Perhaps not in great depth, but the big picture of Genesis is. The seed of the woman is passed on. Mm -hmm. Um, God passes on the faith through a faithful line. Adam, Seth, Noah, and then Shem. And now we have Terah, who's a son of Shem. Abraham, who's the son of Terah. And then, of course, Isaac is the son of Abraham. So Ishmael is not part of that stream. Now Ishmael's sons can be, Ishmael's blessed by God, Uh, they can be brought into that stream by faith, but the stream of the blessing of the world, which was called for in Eden and was temporarily diverted by sin, God is uh, determined to restore through a line of people an elect people so laban and bethuel are not in that line and yet by giving their daughter in marriage to isaac they're given just a tremendous opportunity to to kind of join hmm. join the party hmm. we're going to see the same thing with esau and yeah. but it's it's also Whereas here we see some dysfunctional father-son dynamics. I think that's kind of what you're hinting at. Um, Some of those same dysfunctional dynamics show up again with Isaac's parenting. Yeah. So it's not not a guarantee that the seed of the woman will act like the elect of God. That's right. We sometimes act we sometimes find
0: we we've highlighted that about Abraham too and mm-hmm. we didn't you didn't preach any sermons on those particular passages in Abraham's life but Abraham was far from perfect in his actions mm-hmm. um even after God's uh promise to him mm-hmm. you know and God was still That's abundantly right. gracious and we we've noted that a few times at this point so that trend continues um Right through these specific um, offspring, and then I mean, generally, just God's people. You know, you mentioned that there were kings and prophets that went unnamed. Well, read 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 the book of Judges, and see God's grace. You That's know, true. Uh, often the God's people did not do what they were supposed to do, <laughs> and they paid the the price for that quite often too. the the effects of their sin were manifested not because God was being mean, just because they were sinning. So,
1: Right. Uh, Again and again in Judges, they cry out to the Lord and he sends a deliverer. Mm -hmm. But he does let them taste the error of their ways. So I think, to to some degree we we see that in genesis also and part of the goal of you know if there is a modern a call to a modern day patriarch or matriarch in these sermons and and I hope there is mm-hmm. it's to pass on the promises of god and a godly example not not the opposite but don't be don't be so busted up over your failures as a mother or father that you forget that ultimately it's God who's passing himself on hmm. e- even in our, even in and through our weaknesses. Yeah. And faults.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to find a quote here that you had in your, I don't think you read it. Sorry.
1: What, what's the topic? It was,
0: uh, I found it. You, we were talking, we providentially had two baptisms right. on Sunday. Um,
1: it, it, just remarkable how the timing <laughs> works out. It's like I open my eyes and there were two babies, right? <laughs> Before I was done praying. Lord, what should I preach on? Bingo. Right.
0: Here they are. Um it was great. And it was it, it was uh just really wonderful to to have that visceral experience of God's um covenantal sacrament being witnessed by our church and, and not just witnessed, we we play a part in that, but and then to hear about the same God who has you know formed this covenant with these patriarchs and was faithful and and see how that played out even in this particular story mm-hmm. so but you um I, I don't remember how much of the details you went in i know you talked about the baptisms a little bit during the sermon but you had a point here in your notes that um there's destiny and contingency blending together in Mm -hmm. baptism
1: yeah those are rayburn's words right
0: right um and your note here is not a little of one and a little of another or not one or the other but a hundred percent destiny and a hundred percent contingency and i don't don't remember if you you said those words from the pulpit or not but when i was reading through your notes i that caught my attention because it's 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 not 50-50, it's 100 and 100. Right. Which, again, coming back to kind of my, my um, a little bit of a confession earlier of what I'm struggling with, it's not like I do half the work and God does half the work. It's, I have to do all of my part, and God is always going to do all of his part, Very but true. I have to do That's all right. of my part. That's right. It's not a 50-50 split. It's a hundred percent on me, and then it's a hundred percent on God, and God always keeps his end of the bargain, but I so seldom keep my hundred percent of the of the um of the pact so so
1: uh, Waltke uh, in his commentary says the that this scene with Isaac and Rebecca wrestles with the interplay of human responsibility, faith and action, he says. Hmm. And divine initiative, perfectly coordinated circumstances, the story of salvation is furthered through perfect timing and faithful people.
0: Mm -hmm. And the timing is always perfect. It's God's timing, but the faithful people—that is—that's the big question mark, right? Yeah. Um, It got me thinking a lot, Phil. your last application point was about prayer and i often pray for my kids and their futures and their future spouses um i don't know if i've ever prayed specifics for those spouses other than that they would be godly men and women but not characteristics, not, you know what I mean? Not, not to kind of to the servant's example of praying for a, kind of a, a specific kind of person.
1: Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the whole idea of, uh, what Calvin calls the common duty of parents to look to the marriage for their children, to a godly spouse, that idea
0: mm-hmm.
1: really begins with baptism. Uh, That's the beginning of the journey. It's like the gun goes off in some ways. But it involves the vacations you take as a family. It involves, uh, obviously, a a child can, a teenager can can meet the love of his life or her life on, on a family vacation. It involves the schooling choices, homeschooling, Christian schooling, uh, it seems increasingly difficult to justify government schooling, but but I think there, there's still a place for that for some parents, probably. But they have their work cut out for them because there's a whole pool of, of dating candidates that, meaning like most of the people, at least in the, in the schools here in South Jersey, most of the people are not going to be mm-hmm. Christians.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... Choice of schooling is huge aspect of thinking about your child's spouse at at the at the dinner table after the sermon on Sunday. We we talked as uh, we we had another family over and we had a really interesting conversation about Christian colleges and the place of choosing a college. My wife and I met in college. One of the things that didn't make it into the sermon, I was going to tell the story of Polly's and my dating relationship. I was a junior, she was a, a freshman, and um, I noticed that Rebecca was very beautiful, meaning my Rebecca, my, my future wife, from across the room. It was like, wow, she's, she's cute. And then in the circle, in this uh, Christian Bible study that we were in, there was the very first meeting of the semester, Everybody went around and said what they did that summer and some did this and some did that. And Polly's response was, I spent six weeks in Pakistan on a missions trip. And I was like, and she's godly, (laughs) you know, she's gorgeous and she's godly. And by the end of that meeting, I had strategically (laughs) maneuvered myself to be the one holding her hand in the closing prayer. Now think what you will about that. That's what I did. So as soon as it was amen, it was like. And what was your name again? And you know, we didn't start dating immediately, or and and, and, and it was it was a providential moment. It, it was a welcome invitation. It was received with with appreciation, and we uh, there was a mutual attraction there to begin with. And really, it was about a year later that we actually became a boyfriend and girlfriend. At the time, though, I was still um, kind of... There was another girl I had some interest in, and God was still kind of hammer and tong. I was on the anvil of the Lord and sanctifying me in some areas of my life, uh, figuring out what I wanted to do in terms of uh, after college and, and a bunch of things. And so when the time was right. And she was also wrestling with a previous relationship when she was in high school that wasn't a healthy one. And so you can really see how, you know, the divine hand of providence brought us together at that moment and not earlier and not later, Mm. but we actually didn't start dating until really a year later. So I love to tell that story just because there's so many, many miracles in it, but also a lot of Uh, sanctified common sense as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. so I think parents I tell all that to say um, I was going to I was going to a a public university secular school but was deeply involved in the church that I was a part of Uh, Polly was committed to finding a church as well although we didn't go to the same church initially we were both involved in multiple Bible studies on campus and we knew that our work, in different ways, both of us knew that our, our coursework, our classwork, in sometimes godless classroom environments, required a conscious commitment of faith. So, in my case, though, I had Christian parents. Uh, in her case, her, her parents were not coming from a faith background. So... Parents do have Christian parents do have a, 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 and we're talking from baptism to college, and then everything in between. The tone of the home, what you do with family devotions, uh, what you do with chores, uh, what you do uh, at the at the dinner table, how you handle crises that come up, uh, whether you move around a lot. are, are are the are the neighbor do do the neighbors are they are they, are they friendly to faith hmm. you know um have you been in the same church for a while do you hop churches around do your kids in youth group or you've kept them out of i mean it's just the opportunities that parents have to um, calvin's raises to be solicitous about the choice of a wife for our sons or of a husband for our daughters to give care and attention to that is extremely important, including the actual dating process itself, whether, I think I mentioned on Sunday, you may be more of a formal courtship kind of concept. I I happen to think that can seem a little heavy handed at times or, um, fall into some legalisms. Um, um, I, I know that, Partly from experience and just partly from my own developing convictions and views. Um, But even like uh, some of the young people in our church who are adults but unmarried in their 20s and 30s are, uh, you know, do you use a a Christian dating service, you know, like an electronic Mm -hmm. matchmaking service of a certain kind? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, fiddler on the roof, you know, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. What do you think about all that, Tim? I, I'm just talking, uh, uh, rambling a little bit, just all on the topic of how we go out of our way to moving towards this all important choice of a spouse. But most of our early years, it's our parents that are moving us in that direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm at the beginning of that journey with my kids.
1: You haven't already <clears throat> promised Rebecca to someone? <laughs> Not you're, yet. You're, you have a Rebecca.
0: I, I do. I do. How and do you if, spell her name? Like... like with the K? Re- yeah, K-H. Okay. Um, and it, it actually, she, we've been reading these chapters in Genesis at night before bed because she wants to hear about herself okay. in the Bible. So she grabs her Bible... She's allowed to pick a book before bedtime, and she has been consistently grabbing the Bible. Daddy, read about me. Okay. Um, so we've been reading these even before you were were preaching. um oh, the that's topics. Sweet. So, so it's sweet. been fun because it's like, oh, she goes to the children's church, but you know, Pastor Phil preached about what we read about the other night. Um, but no, I haven't. She's not betrothed yet. I'm waiting for the right dowry to, okay. to be. Presented ten camels, and five treasure <laughs> chests. Yeah, at least at least ten camels. I mean, inflation. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. you know, we might have to bump up that number a little bit. But um, yeah, just thinking about that hundred percent
1: concept of the it, contingency it, side
0: in in the in the idea of kind of everything that I do has an implication on my kids and what they're going to end up learning or doing, not that I control them, but how do I communicate with Allie in front of them? Mm -hmm. What's the tone of my house? How do I handle a situation that, that is hard, whether it's a crisis or I'm angry or, you know, all these things. And they're three, two and an infant. So but they're absorbing all they're that emotional energy stuff. like sponges and, so and
1: and I guess where where my my burden is as a pastor and my own um uh, failed is too strong but certainly my failures as a father my children call me papa my my papa failures um and now I'm in I'm in my pop pop phase so I have grandchildren which means um well, I'll let you figure out what it means. <laughs> but, but uh, I I was told by by a young a young parent that my comment about broccoli in the sermon sounded more like a grandfather's comment than than a father's comment. And I said, huh, I thought I was hiding better than that. <laughs> so, but um, our failures are less in. Um, in the content of what we're teaching them and more in the tone of how we teach them. Mm -hmm. And I I heard one one pastor say, use the catechism as long as there's laughter involved. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's where this papa did not succeed as well as I should have, particularly in the early days. And I've had to learn some of those lessons a little too late. So I do commend to you my failures that you might learn from them and not have to repeat them, Tim.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I appreciate, um, that wisdom. And I mean, you, you've shared a ton of stuff with me. And like I said, my kids are, are still young and I'm learning and and, and they're learning. But uh, I mean, it's a struggle for, for me, even now. It's something that I pray about often. I repent of a whole lot because I I feel myself failing in the moment, um, and uh, I'm I'm thankful and grateful for the reminder on Sunday that God is faithful a hundred percent of the time, mm-hmm. and um, you know he he's a. I just I, I I can't ever hold up my end of the bargain. Um that's not possible t- to to do that perfectly, but um I need to I need to be determined to be faithful in the small things, common sense, you know. Um self-government Mm -hmm. Talk about that a lot as uh, the men at Mercy Hill, you know, just being disciplined, having the right disciplines. Um,
1: Being the Adam that God wants you to be through Christ is the way I've been thinking about it. Adam was called to study creation and to make it beautiful. And that includes himself, you know, Mm -hmm. just to study ourselves and to become the kind of man that God wants us to be. We're no longer able to do that apart from divine intervention. So you're right. The, the, the destiny needs to be present, but the destiny enables our contingency. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and to be intentional with that. Right. And, and not just, not, not that it's a, uh workspace gospel that I have to do things perfectly, but you know so often I I, I fall into the trap of, well, you know, there's tomorrow. <laughs> um or I'll do it better next time. And that's not a bad thing. There's grace, certainly, and there's forgiveness. Um but there's no room for for laziness, you know, and as I'm finding there's, there's really no room for procrastination either. I need, I need to be willing to, to put in the effort, um, Mm -hmm. and realize that the effort that I put in today has, it means more than just did I get enough done today or did I do the right things today Mm -hmm. or was my tone good today that has a much larger ripple effect than what I'm willing to accept, accept in my mind in the moment. Um, so, and, and going back to kind of where I started this tangent with prayer, even being intentional and not being so lazy with my prayer life. Because I go, Oh, I checked the box. I prayed for my kids. <laughs> you know, I did, I did a good dad thing and it is good, you know, to, to be doing that regularly, daily. But Am I picking, am I doing that while I'm lying in bed half asleep? Am I actually being um, focused in my, am I praying or am I just being lazy to check the box kind of thing? So these are things that are just running through my mind at, mm-hmm. at the moment. You know, it's like the hamster on the wheel mm-hmm. as we're talking. But, uh, I mean, I just say, I, I hear your sermons on the patriarchs and I see they're, their warts and the imperfections and the struggles and I go, Oh, all right. Well, yeah, maybe I'm not that I'm certainly, I would never claim to be Abraham, but you know, I'm not as far off as maybe as, as I thought as a, as a dad or, or what have you, but not to rest on my laurels and, and, and to be encouraged by, by what God is teaching me, not, not to be like, oh, all right, well, you know, I'll just coast my, That's coast right. my way the rest of the way. That's right. So.
1: Well. <laughs> um, I, I'm re- recently reminded that Johann Sebastian Bach, the brilliant composer, ended each of his compositions with the three letters SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. Hmm. And he's a brilliant, a master at mm-hmm. his at his work, and uh, I feel more like an apprentice when it comes to being a dad. You know, the the arrangement of the notes on the page as a parent sometimes are out of key. Um, you know, the the first chair violinist is late and hungover. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 the, the drummer's snare has a hole in it and so forth so um but soli gloria you know if our our children are Amen. kind of part of that the work the compositions that he wants us to have a hand in may may god get all the glory in our in our efforts he must increase we must decrease
0: yeah yeah well one last word for me um we see in the passage from Sunday, we see a family. It's not just a servant on its own. It's not just Abraham. It's, it's a, it's a group of people mm-hmm. that is getting larger by God's grace with Rebecca being added. And we're going to learn about the offspring and, and that family continues to, to grow. Um, We don't, from a parenting perspective, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but it, it takes two parents to have a kid, so you're not alone in it, dads and moms, but even more so as Christians, we're not alone, we're part of God's people, um, and that's something I very much appreciate about our church, is that I'm not the only one parenting my kids Uh, And it's very obvious in in a very good way that there are aunts and uncles in the faith that are willing to father and mother my kids. Not in the exact same way that, that that I am or Allie is, but they play a part in our kids' lives. And we're very intentional with that with our kids to the point of there are, there are some of our dear brothers and sisters whom our kids call aunt and uncle, like literally call them aunt mm-hmm. and uncle. And we taught them that on purpose from the moment they could talk because we want to impress upon them that they are part of our family. Mm-hmm. And in in the most important ways, more family than some of our blood family is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to, to say that our our direct relatives are unimportant or not loved or something like that, but... There is something about being part of God's family that is, uh, takes precedent in, in our home. So regardless that it's, I just wanted to leave that as an encouragement to people in our church or other people who might be listening, who are struggling, who have like me have <laughs> three rugrats running around and it's overwhelming on a Sunday morning when no one wants to listen and everyone wants to make a bunch of noise and the baby wants to cry when being baptized and you know, I a few weeks ago Caleb got baptized and the two other ones couldn't sit still or stand still for the life of them um and you made an example of us not in a negative way but you know we were a, a, a <laughs> living breathing example of 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 grace mm-hmm. there on the stage while Caleb was being baptized um and the the number of people that came up to us after the service and earnestly and lovingly with a huge smile on their face said it was great that your kids were, were causing a ruckus up there because it was real and it's, we love them and, you know, they're willing to hold them while they're spitting up or crying or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's our church, you know, and that, that, those are our brothers and sisters. And I, I so appreciate that. And it's a great encouragement to me and to Allie that we have, so many people whom we love dearly and we love their kids and we know that they love our kids so much that they would lead them to the Lord in grace, but also in truth and discipline when it's appropriate and with wisdom and counsel. And I'm very, very thankful that as things get more complicated, as our kids grow, I have those resources um, Hmm. in God's family to be able to get your wisdom, Phil, and to learn from your example and and the things that God has taught you, but then also to, to, you know, call the uncle lifeline, like, I need some help guys, (laughs) you know, get, get get over here, right? (laughs) you know, or, uh, we, we need to have, sit down with the elders, you know, um. And, and let the kids have a have a, an uncle or an aunt to talk to mm-hmm. in that regard. So anywho, just be encouraged. Uh, that's something I often um, thank God for in, in my prayers and uh, I'm thankful for all of you out there at Mercy Hill who are, are listening in and for your support of our family. Um, and uh, I reserve the right to to call you and <laughs> ask for help or prayer, or prayer and you' you're welcome and I encourage you to do the same for me. So
1: amen. And the church grows as uh, a congregation as new families are added to our number who are just getting a taste of that and discovering maybe for the first time the the value of Christian community. Mm-hmm. So that's part of getting the word out and uh passing it on as well as the the people who haven't yet heard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Our, our our church grows by ordinary generation quite quickly. Uh, we have a running joke that there's almost always three expecting mothers at at all times, but, uh, it's good. We actually have another baby blessing this, uh, this weekend. So two baptisms in the past four weeks and two baby blessings sandwiched in between those. And God has been very good to us. And, uh, increasing our heritage of children.
1: So passing it on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We covered a lot. Certainly not all of it. We're not that good, but any, any, anything else that we didn't get to Phil that, um, I wish, I really wish we missed the boat a little bit, brother. We should have had a lady here today to talk about the Rebecca perspective. Um, because it is occurring to me that we had a lot to say as kind of fathers, and the uh, the mothers and daughters' voice was a little bit uh, absent, and uh, I wish I wish I would have had the foresight to to um, to try to line up a third party. Um,
1: but maybe we'll try to we rectify do that next that week. And, with, yeah, because uh, Rachel comes into the picture.
0: I'm just moving right along between these, uh, patriots, yeah.
1: the end of the, the year is fast
0: approaching and I'm not quite prepared for that. Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, yeah. Anything else? No, I think we've, we've, uh, whetted our listeners appetites and, uh, look forward to hearing how both the sermon and then this conversation are, uh, helpful to people as they take the ball and run with it. Mm.
0: Yeah, I I know uh, I'll speak for you a little bit just cuz I know this is true. You're you're always welcoming feedback um on the sermons and and what people are learning. I get the benefit of being able to share that on a scheduled basis mm-hmm. <laughs> with you every week, but I'd encourage you if you are a listener to the sermons or this podcast to um to drop Phil a line and let him know um what you think and what you've learned. Um, and I'm pretty sure critiques are welcome too. Although I I doubt many people have much to say in that regard.
1: Um, yeah, preaching is an ever, it's, you're always in school. You're always improving and making progress. So,
0: well, we appreciate as always your efforts in that Phil. And this week I threw off your schedule with a, rescheduling of the recording of this podcast so hopefully i didn't i didn't too too much damage to your preparation for this upcoming sunday but no, not we at look all. forward to continuing to hear from um, from God's word on the patriarchs it's been a really fun series so far i'm looking uh, i'm finding myself like anxiously awaiting next week's sermon <laughs> every good. week so that's it's a good um it's a good thing and and we're we're moving on to jacob Mm-hmm. I believe, right? So um, we're just rolling right rolling right, rolling right through. One last encouragement to our listeners. Um, obviously, in a 12-week or four, however many weeks the, the sermon series is going to be, you, Phil can't cover every single thing about the patriarchs. Obviously, I mean, there, there's been plenty that we've already kind of skipped. Uh, we've tried to talk about some of it on this podcast, on the in-betweens, but... I would really, really encourage you to go back and read along, um, not just the passage that Phil's preached or will be preaching the upcoming Sunday, and those are um, uh, noted in the bulletins. I think each week you have it, uh, a little announcement in the back um, with next week's passage, so you could read in advance and be praying about it and thinking about it. But, um, you know, read read this section of of Genesis. It's it's really, like I said, we, we kind of inadvertently have been doing it with Rebecca at night, and um, it's really been great to get to church on Sunday, hear your sermon, and have read the prior couple chapters in advance, and we know exactly where you're situated, and you know, we can recall some of the other stories about Isaac even though you didn't preach them particularly. And, right. and it really it really helps um, bring out what God is teaching us in a much fuller way. So I just encourage you, if, if you're looking for something else to read in the Bible, um, in addition, maybe you've wrapped up your reading plan early this year, um, go back and open up Genesis and read the stories of these patriarchs while we finish up this, this sermon series. So... That's the last thing I'll say. Thanks for hanging with us today. Um, We hope you've been blessed by the conversation and we very much look forward to uh, picking up again next week with Jacob. Until then, have a good rest of your week and we'll see you next week on The Deeper Cut.